save me now from this misery. my own place and I'm getting weary how far is heaven and I know that I need to change my ways of living how far is heaven what can you tell me Children, remember yo. 
Welcome, everyone. Also, a warm welcome to all of those joining us online. And thank you for being here. I'm Kaylee DeYoung, and I'm in sixth grade. Um, today, we're in for a big treat because the first and second graders and all of elementary schoolers are going to be um, helping leading the worship this morning. And I also wanted to share with you a verse of scripture, Psalm 139, 1 through 6. And this is actually a verse that the middle school youth group studied a couple weeks ago. And so I thought I'd share it with you. Psalm 139, 1 through 6 says this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Let's turn and greet each other now.
to you. It is really good to have you here in the room at Hillside. I'm Dan Seitz, senior pastor here at the church, and you've come on a great morning. We have a tradition here at Hillside. When our kids uh, become first graders, we give them a Bible in front of their church family, and today is the day because of some COVID delays. I think we've got a second grader or two in the crowd, Uh, but this is the day that's important when we give our kids their Bibles. Uh, before I do, I want to just say something to you three uh, on behalf of your whole church family. And the first is very simple, and I'm really hoping that it sinks into your hearts. We love you. Do you love them? We love you. Yeah. You are so important to this church, and maybe you feel young, maybe you feel like people don't always notice you, but we want you to know we notice you. We receive you as God's gifts to us, and we want you to know that you are as important as every other hillsider, regardless of how long they've been here or who they are or what job they have. You are a God's gift to us. We really want you to know that. And then second, We want you to know that we really think there's nothing that we could give you that's more valuable than the gift that we're going to give you in just a minute. The Bible is the most precious thing. And when you read the Bible, when you you read it carefully and you read it prayerfully, you meet with Jesus himself and you have the opportunity to grow into the person whom God imagined you to be when he created you, a person of joy and hope, and courage, 
and love. And when you read it and you take it in, it begins to seep into your imagination. You become a brand new person, a Jesus-like person. And we want you to know how excited we are to see you already on that journey. And we also want you to know that we're all here to help you learn it, to understand it, to love it, and to be changed by it. All of us, including me, uh, one of your pastors. So anyway, I'm going to give you your Bibles now, and then we're all going to pray a blessing on you. Okay, so don't run off. All right. Thank you, Terry, our children's director. Okay, the first one is for Charlotte Exberger. Here you are, Charlotte. There you go. Bless you. Here is one for Noah DeYoung, my uh, family group of co-member right here. I'm very honored to give that to you. And the last one for Skylar Mercier. Skylar, there's your Bible. Yeah. The church family is going to pray a blessing on you. What that means is we're going to pray uh, for God to pour out his goodness on you today and on all days. That's what a blessing is, all right? Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful for this moment. We receive these three as gifts from you. I mean, truly, each a wonder, handmade by you for purposes that only they can fulfill. And it is our joy to have them in this church family. Father, we pray that in the days ahead, as they read your word, that it would be a source of profound joy. They would experience you in it. We pray that they would grow wise in understanding your way, a way exemplified by your son, Jesus. And they would grow up to be joyful, peaceful, creative, courageous agents of you in this world, ones whom everyone else is blessed by. We're so grateful for them and for their colleagues uh, from the first and second grade whom we blessed in the first hour. Bless them in all ways, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. never fails me all my days I've been held in your hands stand together from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God Faithful. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice have led me through the fire in the darkest night 
You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend I have lived in the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful So, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God Your goodness is running after It's running after me this morning, reflect on the goodness of God, all what he has done in your life, all the prayers that he has answered, and actually even the prayers he didn't answer. And then say, thank you for the answer to prayers, prayers that I did not pray. say thank you for all your provision God all the ways you provide for us 
All the things we take for granted from what we have in the bank to groceries to car to drive to life, the breath that is in us. Every day we wake up, we see the sun and we, we live our lives. And Lord, you have been good to us in so many ways. Your word says that you open your hand and we are fed. Uh, you bless us. And so we look to you. Your word says that those who look to you, they are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. So we do that today. We say thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Be seated. We actually forgot one child. So we're going to do this right. This is Elisa Solaviva. She's a second grader, and we missed her the first time around. So we're gonna, I'm going to say to you what we said to your colleagues, and I want it to sink into your heart. We love you, Elisa. We really do. And we are so thankful to have you in our church. We, we consider ourselves a more wonderful and richer church because you're in it, because of all the gifts that God has given you and how special you are because he handmade you. And we're so excited to give you a gift of the Bible because in the Bible, you can know what's real and you can read it and you can grow up to be a young woman of courage and love and joy and peace. And we're so happy to see uh, how that's going to happen in the years ahead. So uh, this is Miss Terry. She's got a Bible for you. Let me pray a, bl- me pray a blessing on you. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for this precious gift that you have given our church and her parents in Elisa. And we pray this would be a significant moment in her life when she begins to take the next step of life with you as she takes in your word and she learns what it means to be uh, a child made in your image who's called to serve you in the world with all the gifts that you've given her. We just pray your rich blessing on her and her family right now. And we're so thankful for her. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, just so good to have you on this really joyful morning. I'm Dan Seitz, senior pastor here, and I've just got three very quick but important church life items to uh, let you know about. First of all, next week at 1.30, we have our congregational annual meeting. That's for everyone who's a member of Hillside and for people who are not official members but uh, who are for whom Hillside is their church. This is your church. Uh, this is a meeting for you. We've got some important business items. We're going to be voting on next year's budget. We're going to be voting on new council members. We're going to be talking a little bit about the future. It's going to be important. So if Hillside's your church, please join us for that. The meeting is going to be on Zoom at 1.30 But if you're someone who just doesn't really want to experience the meeting on Zoom, maybe because you have a hard time using that technology, we totally understand. We're going to have a Zoom room here on the church campus, and you are welcome to experience the meeting in the Zoom room. We'll announce where that is next week. Uh, We would ask, though, if you are comfortable with Zoom, you know how to use it, if you'd participate in the meeting at home uh, so that we have space for all the people who need the Zoom room, okay? Here's something exciting. Next week, we're going to begin selling tickets for Magi. Magi is something really significant, is it not? Well, we all say Magi, but... Do we? Yeah. I'm just letting you know. Newbie. Yeah. Newbie. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> what is Magi? What was Magi? Magi is a is a fabulous Christmas production 
that has lots of actors and singers and it brings everybody together and it is a lot of fun and it has the beautiful Christmas story about the Magi weaved in with some cool music. So come and check it out. That's great. Yeah. And, and this is something really significant. It's heartwarming. People who attend Magi love it. But, you know, we do it for a really important reason. We understand our purpose as a church is being light in the world. Right showing people the reality of the true King Jesus. And th this is the reason why we do Magi, to shine a bright light on him. So we invite you to think about who it is you might invite, and then we encourage you spring for their tickets. Get their tickets next week. You can do it either at the info counter or you can do it online. But Magi is important, and it's thrilling that God has allowed us to do it this year. Mm. And then one more thing, right after this service, we're having the chili cook-off. The chili cook-off uh, is, is going to it's a, it's a great celebration. We gather together. We eat delicious uh, food. But really, we do it because we are light-bearing people. And one of the ministry priorities of our church is to raise money for anti-trafficking efforts. That's where the money from the chili cook-off goes, to, to help work against trafficking, which is something that grieves God's heart. So join us to join in the mission. Join us to build up the body, because whenever we eat together, we connect, and God does great things. We would just love to have you for it. So again, that's right after this service. All right. Time for uh, our gifts and offerings. One thing that God's Word has told us that if we belong to Jesus, one of the ways we worship in addition to singing, is we give from the abundance of what God has given us, and now's the time to do that. Uh, giving at Hillside is for Hillsiders. So if you're a new person, maybe you're just checking out the church, this is not for you. This is for people uh, for whom Hillside is their church home. You can give online on the website. You can give on the Church Center app. You can give through an ordinary check, but uh, give as the Lord leads. Let me pray for us as we keep going. Father, you've been so good to us. I'm really feeling your goodness in a particular way this morning. You've really poured out your blessing on me. You poured out your blessing on us. Even to be a part of this church is a gift. To be part of this story, what you've done on this hillside over 60 years. So it's our joy to give back. And we pray that our gifts would bring a smile to your face. We recognize you as the recipient of these gifts. And we pray that you would use these gifts to do what you love to do with them, to, to bless the world. That's what we want. So take them, and we pray that they would warm your heart. We love you. We're so grateful to belong to you and to give you our full attention this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And if it will sway you so you can stay for the chili cook-off, uh, this drummer and this guitar player are going to be playing during the chili cook-off. And, and, and I'm just the bass player. I'll be there. And, and uh, Ryan is bringing his dad, who is a uh, jazz piano player. So he'll be there as well. So. stars come crashing down in tiny pieces to the ground I was all alone down here trapped beneath the atmosphere that I 
thought somebody called my name I spun around and caught a flame I gave into a God I didn't know And now everything is falling into place A brand new life is calling out I owe it all to grace It's so much better living in your world Savior, what you did for me You gave me something I want everyone to see When we stumble and it all goes wrong Only you can make it right So I say, oh, I'm learning to be the light all around in the distance I could see a flame Whoa, whoa, learning to be the 
lies oh, oh, oh. Learning to be the light Hello, Hillside! It is so good to be with you today. My name is Stephen. We are continuing our storm-chasing journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Luke as he takes his earth-saving mission throughout Galilee. Today we're going to see Jesus rumble with the religious leaders. And that's the part where you all go, ooh. Rumble with the religious leaders so that he can show us who he is and what God is. Is like, and I think it's going to surprise, challenge, and inspire us. When I was a little Stephen, I'm a big Stephen now, but when I was a little Stephen living in Redwood City, California, the preschool I attended did something really cool. During the course of the week, the teacher would put up a piece of paper on the wall and write all of our names on it, and we got awarded for good behavior. And so if we did something good, we got a gold sticker by our name. And whoever had the most gold stickers by the end of the week got a lollipop. So that was really motivating. But there's, there's something that I've realized, I've noticed in my life, I've never stopped counting my stars. Whenever I do something good or pray or read the Bible or attend church, I think, that's another gold star for me. A few years ago, I was with a coworker in Denver, Colorado for a conference, and the hotel we were staying in was right across the street from the most magical of places, Starbucks. <laughs> and so one morning, we went out to get our drinks, then we were heading back to go to our first session, and as we were leaving Starbucks, a homeless woman came up to us and said, I'm really hungry, could you get me something to eat? And I said, oh, of course, I'll go into Starbucks, I'll get you something. And she said, I would really like some banana bread. And I said, banana bread coming right up. So I went into Starbucks, I got the banana bread, I went to pay for it, pulled my phone out, used the Starbucks app. Now, back in these days, when you made a purchase with the Starbucks app, what would happen was you would get a gold star that would fall into a coffee cup. And so as I'm buying the banana bread, I started thinking, wow, I'm helping someone else, but I'm also helping myself. <laughs> That's great. And so what begins happening to a lot of us is we can end up doing this with God. We start living for a sticker or a star that tells us we're a good person and we can become sticker collectors instead of light bearers. And when God is just a star in our life, what happens is faith becomes more of a routine and less of a relationship. Faith becomes more about going through the motions than it does about being motivated to make a difference. Faith becomes a checklist to earn eternity points instead of living humbly on earth for God's glory. And what happens is we start judging people for the lack of stickers that they have compared to us. And this creates a holier-than-thou approach to life. People don't really want to get into the orbit of the holier than thou's, and this is our is the fault in our stars. You got it? 
And this fault in our stars was happening when Jesus takes Galilee by storm. And today we're going to look at two stories where Jesus is going to attempt to reorient our lives away from our sticker boards and our gold stars so we can orbit the way of Jesus instead. And Jesus is going up against one of the most sacred Jewish laws, the Sabbath. Holy moly, the thunder is rolling in. Let's get into story number one. Okay, our first Sabbath story is in Luke 6, 1 through 5. Here's what we read. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of grain, rubbed off the husks in their hands, and ate the grain. But some Pharisees said, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus replied, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The great, I love it, thank you. Okay, yes, Jesus, he said that, it's amazing. The the great scholar and pastor and writer N.T. Wright tells a story about a relative of his. He and some of his friends flew into Ireland for a rugby game, and when they arrived, there were no custom officers. So a few of the friends, they went into the booths and they put on the officer hats and they started to check the passports of the other people that had arrived. And it's one of those moments where you wonder what the real officers would have thought if they found this out. It's one of those you ask, who do you think you are? This is probably what it would have been like watching Jesus when he walked on earth. He wasn't a priest He wasn't part of the religious elite. He was a carpenter from the backwater town of Nazareth. And yet, he had a habit of standing in airport arrivals, telling people what to do, and giving them permission to do things that they weren't normally permitted to do. Who did Jesus think he was? And this is the big question Luke wants to answer in his gospel. Who did Jesus think he was? And it's easy with our gold star chasing mindsets to read our story and like the religious leaders think, do we or don't we keep the Sabbath? The Sabbath was a holy day of rest. It was a day God modeled for his people from the very beginning of creation. On the seventh day, God rested. Sabbath was a God-ordained day given to his people in Exodus and Deuteronomy so that they could find rest. You see, God recognizes that we are human beings, not human doings. We need to be rested to be at our best, and being at our best happens most when we are resting in God's presence. But the legal experts, when Jesus steps onto the scene, had created a rigid do's and don'ts for what was allowed on the Sabbath in order to earn good standing with God. So when Jesus and his disciples are walking through the grain field and their tummies start rumbling, the disciples break off heads of grain and rub off the husks and eat, the religious leaders watching the whole thing would have categorized this as harvesting, winnowing, and preparing food. They were caught working when they ought to be resting, so no gold star for you. No gold star. 
And they approach Jesus with great concern and ask, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? A few weeks ago, Jariah and I were hunting down some marshmallows for a bonfire night. We found the marshmallows in a Walgreens. And so we get up to pay for our marshmallows. And this guy in line behind us goes, hey, aren't you too old to be buying marshmallows? (laughs) And in my mind, I thought, what's it to you, man? Just let me buy them. But what I said was, I looked at it, I said, you're never too old to buy marshmallows. You know, it's not not worth arguing about. But Jesus, he doesn't argue with the religious leaders. He takes them into the scriptures. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? Now, these religious leaders, they would have known the scriptures like the back of their hand. What David did when he and his companions were hungry, Jesus takes them to 1 Samuel 21. The bread Jesus is referencing was called the bread of the presence. And it was put out on each Sabbath and only the priests were allowed to eat it. The bread symbolized God's presence in relationship with his people. But David ate the bread on the Sabbath. David's action here lets us know how David viewed himself. He was an exception to the normal rules. It was David's way of claiming to be the rightful king of Israel. And so our big question, who did Jesus think he was? By taking us into the story of David, Jesus is showing us how he viewed himself. Jesus is the anointed king, awaiting the right time for his kingship to come. But even more than that, Jesus ends this scene with some lightning. Ciao. That was my best lightning sound effect. I might need to work on that. Okay. But he says, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. This is lightning. So Jesus makes this statement. And what he is doing is he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be God. And so if Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, then he is free to do on it and with it whatever he pleases. And the religious leaders had their gold stars in theology. They did not miss Jesus' meaning. And as I read this passage, I was amazed at how Jesus so wonderfully worked out his identity to the religious leaders in the grain field. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says this, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And that got me thinking. The Sabbath was God's brilliant idea to help his people rest from their ordinary, everyday work. When we rest in God's presence, that's when the most extraordinary work takes place. God's work in us is preparing us for the work he wants to do through us. And Jesus wasn't diminishing this. He was highlighting it. He he wants us to know that rest is knowing he is God with us. He's God with us. But if we're honest, us Western Christians are terrible at resting. Maybe a few of us practice taking a Sabbath, but I think for the majority of us, the idea of taking a Sabbath has become a nice little belief that we have that makes us feel good. 
but we don't let it get in the way of our busy and hurried and mile-long list of tasks and events that we have to get to. The theologian Dallas Willard said once, hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our day. Having a Sabbath is the discipline of taking one day out of your week to focus on the unhurried nature of God in the hopes that that nature will begin to rub off on you. If you look at the life of Jesus, he had a pretty big assignment. Be perfect, save the world, all without the internet. This is crazy. Yet he wasn't in a hurry. He wasn't in a rush. In fact, he was unhurried. Jesus walked along. We never read that Jesus ran to get places. Jesus viewed the Sabbath as a way to get the needs of his soul met by entering into the presence of the Father in heaven. And spending time in the presence of God is what helps us put everything else in life into proper perspective. The religious experts were more worried about keeping the routine of the Sabbath, that they lost the perspective that the Sabbath was always meant to help us build our relationship with God. And that's what I think our first Sabbath story is all about. Uh, Bert from Mary Poppins says this, Winds in the east, mist coming in, like something is brewing about to begin. Do you feel like something is brewing here with Jesus yet? Our, our second Sabbath story is Luke 6, 6 through 11. Here's what we read. On another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? He looked around at them one by one, and then said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. When Mr. Beaver in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe tells Susan that Aslan is a lion, Susan is a little surprised. She assumed that Aslan would be a man. And she tells Mr. Beaver, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Amen, sister. (laughs) And she asked Mr. Beaver if Aslan is safe. And Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king. In our second Sabbath story, Luke takes us from out in the grain field to inside the church. And on this Sabbath, Jesus is at church teaching. And in the audience that day, there's a man with a deformed right hand. We learn the religious leaders are pretty interested in this man, but not for the reasons you might think religious people would be interested in a person at church dealing with an imperfection. You see, they want to see if Jesus will heal this man so they can accuse him of working on the Sabbath. 
If you've ever seen Star Wars, you might be seeing this scene and like General Akbar, be going, Jesus, it's a trap. It's a trap. But you know what Luke tells us? Jesus knew their thoughts. Wow, that's pretty crazy. And as Jesus is teaching, he locates the man with the deformed hand and invites him to stand up in front with him in front of everyone. You've got to imagine this. Jesus is teaching up a storm and he gets a little thought bubble insight of what the religious leaders are thinking about. And so Jesus, what he does is he finds the guy that they're thinking about and he goes, hey, why don't you come up here and stand with me? If you were watching Jesus teach, talking about how the shepherd leaves the 99 to chase after the one, and then he pauses mid-sentence and points at some guy and has him come up, you would be totally freaking out. And the man with the deformed hand stands up next to Jesus. We don't know anything else about this guy except that his hand was deformed. But that one detail tells us a lot. As kids, we heard stories about the ugly duckling. When someone gets glasses, we call them four eyes. When someone gets braces, we call them metal mouth. Heck, you can't even buy marshmallows without someone saying something to you. And for the people in Jesus' time, there was a heavy emphasis on clean and unclean. And if something was physically wrong with you, it could be a sign there was something spiritually wrong with your entire family. And so I wonder what the condition of this man's heart was as he stands up next to Jesus. Did he bow his head? Did he look Jesus in the eyes? Were his cheeks red with embarrassment? Did he try to hide his hand behind his back? Were his knees shaking? I wonder what that moment would have been like for him. But Jesus was beside him. And I wonder if Jesus maybe put his arm around his shoulder. That would have been some amazing moment. And then Jesus speaks. And really pay attention. He says, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or destroy it? He looks at the religious leaders, the gold star chasers, the experts of God's law, one by one. It's a slow scan across them. And then Jesus tells the man, hey, hold out your hand. The man holds out his hand, and it's healed. Jesus could have easily finished teaching, found the man in private, and done the healing there, but he makes the healing public. Jesus always acts to preserve the dignity and humanity of other people. And sometimes the most powerful way to do that is to make a public stand in order to uplift the bullied, marginalized, and discriminated. Jesus is for every human life, no matter how big or small, and we should be too. Theologically speaking, Jesus is revealing something very crucial we can't miss in our lives. It's something the religious leaders couldn't see, but through the grace of Jesus, I hope that we do. Jesus is establishing that doing good can never be wrong, even on the Sabbath. 
Jesus is trying to get us to see that compassion is a better guide to human flourishing than rules defined by religious legal experts. And this is why the church is the light of the world. It's because we have the compassion of Jesus guiding us. And the compassion of Jesus is guiding us to create change within our churches. But it's also guiding us to go out of our churches and create change within our culture and society. The compassion of Jesus changes the atmosphere. And people are more important than religious programs. Collecting gold stars for following rigid religious codes distorts our perspective on God's intentions for all the good that he wants to do in the world. And isn't it interesting that Luke labels the religious leaders as the enemies of Jesus? The guardians of the law, the gatekeepers for communicating Yahweh to the people, these are the enemies of Jesus? Wow. But you see, every one of those religious leaders theologically believed that God loves every person. The problem was, for these religious leaders, they didn't love every person. And when Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath, instead of celebrating God at work, Luke tells us the religious leaders were wild with rage. Doesn't it seem like our world is wild with rage? And as I think about us as followers of Jesus, we have to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. We have to wonder, are we wild with rage over the things that Jesus is heaven-bent on healing, redeeming, and saving? Misplaced rage keeps us from experiencing the life-changing love of Jesus. All of these religious leaders wanted to uphold the Sabbath, but their rage robbed them of the compassion God wanted them to rest in. Listen, rage robs us from the rest that God wants to give us. Everyone in Jesus' day was expecting the Messiah, and they expected the Messiah to be safe. Everyone expected the Messiah to be a man, a human, but they were all surprised to find out that the Messiah was God in human form. Jesus isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, and his compassion is for all. And his authority over the wind, the waves, the Sabbath, and the tomb is more than enough to be our refuge and strength in our hurried, worried, and busy lives. Go to Jesus, lay down your hurried calendars and find rest. He is all sorts of good. Jesus will recharge your soul with all the brilliance of his love and he will send you out rested and ready to do good in the world. So when I was a little Stephen and I was trying to earn all of those gold stars. One day I went into the kitchen and I found my dad and I ran up to my dad and I gave him a big hug and I said, I love you, dad. And my dad goes, oh, I love you too. And as I walked out of the kitchen, here's what I did. I walked out and with, with my finger in the air, I made a little check mark and I did this, check. It was like 
the act of telling my dad that I loved him had just earned me a gold star on my checklist. Friends, God is not interested in you and I checking a box when it comes to our relationship with him. God wants what that box represents. God wants our heart. I was driving on the freeway one time, and I saw a strange sign. There was one sign that said, maximum speed limit, 75. And I thought, okay, that's cool, that's normal. But then the sign after that said, minimum speed limit, 45. And I thought to myself, who in their right mind is driving the minimum speed limit on the freeway? I started to think about that person, and I seriously disliked them. <laughs> you know, because nobody is driving the minimum speed limit on the freeway. And then I started thinking about our lives. We are so rushed. We are so busy. When was the last time you slowed down? And I mean slowed down your thoughts, your worries, your pressures, and just drove the minimum speed limit in God's presence. God is not in a rush. We are. Rest is a chance to respond, remember, and return to God. It's a chance to trust that God's power is at work in us, and his power will work through us. Rest reorients our orbit around Jesus. So may we intentionally find times to rest in Jesus so we are refreshed to do good around us in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are so good at modeling for us the kind of life you want us to live. God, Jesus is such an amazing example of the unhurried nature you want all of us to live with and into. And so, God, every single one of us, we have different things pressing in and pushing us and hurrying us and causing us to stress and causing us to have anxiety. Whatever it is, God, you know intimately every detail of our lives. And, God, I pray that in whatever way we need to, we would lay those things down at your feet, trusting that you are big enough strong enough, and you love us enough to take those things and give us instead your peace, your rest, and your grace. God, may we walk a little lighter, knowing that when we pursue you in rest, you recharge us to face whatever the world can throw at us. God, it is your rest where we really find the most extraordinary work taking place. So God, may we rest in you. In your awesome, awesome name, amen. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song, stand together, of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears are gone. 
from my mother's womb you have chosen me love has called my name I've been born again into your family oh God your blood flows I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God, no longer a slave. Oh, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. before Stephen comes, I have something special. Come on up, Stephen. Come on up, come on up. Something really special. Real quick. Welcome this wonderful lady. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come. Yeah, it's you, it's you, it's you. Get, get a microphone. Get a microphone. Hello, Hills. Hello, hello. Oh, okay. Is it on? I don't know. Is it on? Okay. Hello. I, is it my turn? Go ahead. Okay. 
I am Tiffany Yates, and I am here to share about the chili cook-off contest. <laughs> you may have seen a couple of weeks ago Katie Weibert up here flashing her golden statue. <laughs> she might call it a trophy because she won the chili cook-off a couple <laughs> years ago, but it kind of reminds me of a Bible story. She was borderline worshiping that thing. <laughs> and I really feel that God has called me to humble Katie Weibert. Okay, and I am wearing my chili cook-off robe of success. Smoking hot. And here's the other thing. There are 10 other chefs out there and I wish them all the luck in the world. I really only care about beating Katie Weibert. <laughs> or at least saving her soul. So I hope to see you out there. Go Chili Cook-Off! It's for a great cause. And that was a perfect illustration from my message today. <laughs> uh, if, you, if you need some prayer before you eat some chili, we have our prayer team there up here, and they would like to pray for you so that you could experience more of the rest of Jesus and his peace in your life. Well, I got a question for you. Are we sticker collectors? Are we light bearers? Yes, we are. So I thought about this. The, the, a well-rested Christian is the most dangerous thing to our enemy on this earth because we are secure in the fact that we are no longer a slave to sin. Amen. Our identity is as children of God. And with that identity, we shine light for Jesus to do good in the world around us. So be rested, my hillside family. Enter into God's presence. Drive the minimum speed limit because God has a lot of good he wants to do through you. Go and be blessed. Have peace and grace. We'll see you later. Goodbye.